This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Content is more than Revit families. If it's digital, Avail can handle it. Learn more at getavail.com. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have conversations with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the coevolution of architecture and technology. In this episode, I welcome Johan Hanegraaff. Johan is the co-founder and head of product at Archeo. With over 15 years of experience in the architecture industry, Johan specialized in computational design, BIM, and VR software development before joining Archeo to create a unique collaborative spatial design tool. As an architect and engineer by training, he believes immersive technologies have the potential to redefine our design process and create better built environments. In this episode, we discuss developing design tools for fully immersive VR environments with new paradigms in UI UX when combined with six degrees of freedom, the value and real-world application of real-time spatial collaboration, when to use it and when not to, real-time remote collaboration without a sync button, the current and next iterations of VR hardware, and more. It was great to reconnect with Johan for this episode, and I hope you'll not only find value in the conversation for yourself, but that you'll help add value to the profession by sharing it with your network to help me elevate the industry. And don't forget, Visit the sponsors that help make this episode possible. And now, I bring you Johan Hanegraaff. Johan, it's great to see you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. So we, we've seen each other recently, but I think the time we actually got to spend a little bit of time together last, was it was that AU 2019 maybe? Yeah, that was our, I think, a, a, like a longer chat that we had. We, we met each other briefly this year in uh, like when we uh, Anaheim for, for the build conference. Uh, but like the the actual deep discussion we had about uh, Archeo and some of the things that are coming, uh, that was at AU, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm excited to have this conversation today because the things that I've seen, uh, and I know it's been a while now, I'm, I'm excited to be kind of caught up on what's going on with Archeo. But I want to get kind of back to like how and why do you do what you do? So how did you get there? Tell us a little bit about your path that led to Archeo and then maybe we can get into the meat of the conversation, which is once you really started working on Archeo, like where, how this has developed over time and, and what's changed, maybe what surprised you about it. Um, and then why are you interested in this problem specifically? Yeah. So like for me, uh, architecture has always uh, been like an interesting combination of using traditional tools and uh, technology. And uh, right after I graduated, I started working at uh, Meccano Architects. It's like an international operating uh, architecture office. And I saw a lot of my colleagues struggling with the design tools that are currently being used. And and most of that was due to the fact that tools like Revit are not the most intuitive tools out there. And there's a lot of 
complex problems to solve when you're trying to go from one software to another. And, and often you need a variety of tools in architecture to get to a certain style of architecture, to get to a certain, uh, like, like maybe floor plans actually works better in Revit, but like the design freedom works better in SketchUp. And so each, to, each one of these tools, they have their benefits. And I saw a lot of the architects that I worked with really struggle in using these technologies. And I always found like a, a lot of fun and passion to to help architects to to work with these tools better. So working on on workflows and processes to make that better. And it started a bit as a like a like a hobby to make little plugins and extensions to Revit. And when in 2017 or actually 16, uh, the Oculus Rift TK2 uh, came out, that's the first time I got into uh, virtual reality. And what what stroke me when I was doing that is the the way how it changes the way that we typically engage with our 3D media. Like we, we typically look at our 2D screens and then we use our 2D input devices, keyboard and mouse to, to interact with these uh, models. But with virtual reality, we now had uh, six degrees of freedom in looking around and also six degrees of freedom of using your hands. So this allowed a lot, uh, like a complete new way of doing things when it comes to working with 3D content. And it struck me back then that most of the uh, tools that were out there or that were being developed for architecture, they were about viewing the models, but they were not actually for, for interacting with these 3D models. And that's, that's also the starting point of uh, my journey at, at Archeo. Like originally, I started prototyping and hacking something together with hackathons and, and all sorts of uh, people that I worked with. Uh, to to come up with the tool myself, but uh, after about one and a half year, I joined the uh, Arcio team. It's a more, more seasoned team of uh, developers. They they had a startup before, and uh, yeah, we've been working on Arcio now for almost four years uh, together. Wow, the four, four years has flown by because I I think I've been aware of you for about that long, and the idea of building tools that people want to use has been a kind of a thing that's come up on the show quite often versus the tools that people are kind of forced to use or have to use or at the mercy of <laughs> because it's a real thing right and i think at, at some level there's a little bit of a pride in being able to fly the airplane like the ui that is very sophisticated and there's a lot of tools and they can do a lot of different things like you you look at kind of the standard tools of architects today whether it's a BIM platform, or if it's a more traditional kind of multifaceted modeling program, you know, there's, there's a lot of tools and commands in there. And, and so the learning curve is high, right? And there's people who have staked their whole career on learning those tools specifically. And I think what you're talking about is different than that. It's like, we want to be able to enjoy using the tools. We want to be, uh, having fun in them. Play is a very creative tool that people can use to create better designs that deliver more value. And, and especially when you're talking about communicating design to various stakeholders, architects have always been good at understanding what space is like by looking at a model, whether it's a physical model or a digital model because of the training that they've gone through. But guess what? Like nobody else is. People can't read floor plans. They really don't understand them when it comes down to it. And so giving additional stakeholders the ability to experience space before it's built 
is a game changer. And that's where VR comes in. So now you kind of have a, a threshold of trying to make sure that people know it's okay to stick the thing on their head. And there's a lot of people who just, they have a preconceived idea about what it's like. They don't think it's going to be right for them. Maybe they get motion sickness. Maybe they're going to mess up their hair. Maybe they don't want somebody else's face grease on their face, right? Like whatever those things are there, but those are real things too. And so you kind of have a little bit of a different problem there, but I think overall this idea of it, of really being able to communicate what space is like before it's there. And people are spending tons and tons of money on this stuff that it makes a lot of sense. And so I, I, I applaud you for taking on this, this challenge and this problem. And I think you guys have solved it in a very interesting way because you take it beyond just experiencing it, but you also allow people to build in 3d in vr right so maybe talk a little bit about the has archeo always come from that standpoint of of building in vr yeah definitely so like that was one of the things that i found uh, like at the beginning also missing like the, the the way to to use your both your your physical presence your 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 body as being in that space with your with your head and seeing the skill uh, but also your hands to interact with that model. And there were very few softwares out there that actually that really use all of those those new freedoms uh, that come with those tools. And when I'm talking about VR, uh, I'm, I'm talking about like the, the, the current, uh, like the headsets, uh, like, the, like with the limitations that we work with today. But I think everyone sees where this is going uh, in in a few years from now, like we've seen holograph uh, holographic tables in our sci-fi movies, we've seen uh, people with like really sl- slim AR glasses. Uh, it, it's it's all clear for everyone like how this technology will just uh, develop over time, and and some of these issues that are uh, now maybe holding people back from from using this technology, they will be solved uh, when the uh, technology itself just uh, gets to that point. And I, I felt the Technology as they are now, like when, when consumer VR headsets uh, came to the market, they made it so much more accessible for architects to to get a couple of these headsets and uh, get their clients to to wear these headsets. Before this was just a stuff of uh, universities. You needed a pretty big budget to have like a like a full holographic room or like now the now cave, you could have right. yeah now you could have these on a pretty low budget. And uh, it makes the technology a lot more accessible. And, and that's one of the things, right? It's like, it's not uh, like the, the, the camera that uh, is the best pictures, but it's the camera you always have with you. And same is with the VR headset right now. These headsets, especially the portable ones, they're three, four hundred dollars And they can do pretty much everything uh, that some of these headsets could do uh, four years ago with cable. And that makes these technologies so much more accessible. And this will only get better and better. And the process of also making uh, the VR experience itself uh, more interactive and uh, give, giving people like modeling capabilities, that's a very unexplored area because there there's no, not been any tools or, or examples that we can learn from of like, hey, this is how a cat UI has to be like when you're using your hands to model like this. It's, it's actually pretty fun because you have to really reinvent the wheel because the, you cannot use the typical uh, like toolbar UIs that uh, we now perfected in the CAD software, you cannot have like a, like a thousands of keyboard uh, keyboard shortcuts. You you have to use hand gestures and and hand interactions to work with these model, and that also allows a lot more interesting 
uh, and, and a lot more simple to use uh, modeling operations. So, so one of the things that we've done, for example, is really reduce the num- number of tools that you can select and, and really try to bring them as much as you can back to uh, just grabbing and, and hand gestures of, that come very close to the physical modeling. So you really pick up your objects using your finger pinch. You, you really grab an object and kind of smash it to another object to glue it together. So people don't really have to think about the tools that they're going to use. They, they basically just already know how it works. When they build a physical model, they would also pick up that tree and uh, glue it to the side of that building. They would also pick up the table and, and try to stretch it a bit. Yeah, I, that that's a, a big deal right? because the idea of you already know how to use it is just reducing those barriers to so that anybody actually can. And and what's great about that, I think as a, as, let's just pretend for a minute that I'm an architect and I'm working with a client. Uh, I've been through so many times where it's like, you don't want to have to tell them every little thing to do. And so allowing them to explore and discover those kinds of little magical moments of things snapping together and stacking something and it stays where you put it and all of those little things i think are kind of surprising to people and they get it gives them more ownership in the process because you're not the authority uh telling them exactly what to do i I remember a long i I used to teach in in the university and architecture department and i taught software right and it was very informative for me to learn how to tell people how to use software without telling them exactly what to do. Uh, Because I think it's always been, I think it's more difficult in traditional software because there are giant tool palettes and uh, lots of commands and things like that. But to learn how to describe something without just kind of grabbing the mouse away from them and clicking on it where, where they should be clicking right now, right? Like that's a very different experience for a user than you kind of guiding them gently and allowing them to find that stuff themselves. And so now for you to get to the point where the software is, is you already know how to use it. You, you already understand the fundamentals. Everybody's played with Legos. Everybody's played with building blocks, right? I, you know, I, I'm, totally uh, generalizing right now but for the most part right like that's pretty true and so therefore you kind of already know how to use the software i think that's an amazing point to actually be able to get to to open this up to explore design with clients and have them be a part of that process and experience definitely and uh, that also kind of taps into uh, like like some of the things that we're seeing right now uh, it actually like it's really popular RQO among uh, universities. Like uh, like we we get a lot of good feedback from from students and teachers that are having like collaborative workshops. They are doing especially during the pandemic. I think people really got really fed up with Zoom and Teams and all these two D um, like collaborations, collaborative sessions. And uh, they I think it it also a waking up moment for a lot of people that. A lot of things don't communicate that well in 2D. Uh, like typically, the, the the workshops with students, like I don't know if you had those teachers as well that ask you to make a model, but that that's really a, like it's a center point of these presentations often, right? Like you have that model in that table, and that that's where where the entire group of reviewers is, is looking at. That's the that's the the, the spatial thing you're discussing, and uh, that that's I think a lot of people they uh, like they 
that it got also a bit out of the architecture profession itself. Like if you look at commercial architecture firms, like the, the models themselves basically became more like presentation models. Uh, like there are still some, yeah, still some, some conceptual architecture, like architect firms, they are using models a lot, but most uh, commercial firms, they, they don't use them that much anymore. But I think we all kind of, we, we are feeling comfortable with them and we also miss them a bit because they, they are very valuable in, in the process of creating. Yeah, that that was an important part of my architecture school experience was building models and ripping them apart and putting them back together. And I, that's one thing I think I really appreciate about what you're doing is it gives you the ability to do that, but it's it's digital, right? This is so anybody can be anywhere and participating in this. And I want to talk, I want to talk, there's so many things I want to talk about with you when it comes to the people who are actually having the experience with the VR headset on but also the people who are just watching from the sidelines as well, whether it's on an iPad or they're actually sitting behind the person who's doing the modeling or they're watching on a TV. I think you guys have done some really amazing work in that side of things as well. So it's not just the person in VR who's having the best experience. I think everybody knows what it's like watching somebody work in VR and it's kind of sickening, right? Because if you're, if you're watching through their eyes, it looks like it's moving all over the place and it is, but when you're in VR, it feels totally different. You feel locked down. And because you're controlling all the motor movement to look around, you're having a fine experience. Other people watching don't. And so for this third party kind of uh, person in the room or somebody who's watching from a distance who isn't the person with the headset on, maybe you can just talk a little bit, let's give a little bit of this away. I, I do want to get back to another topic, which was, this idea of the this ideal future of lightweight thin headsets and everybody can see where that's going that's absolutely true and yet like here we are right now today and so the people who are using a tool like Archeo can just put a headset on at their desk because you know we we traditionally had to get up and go move to a VR station where there was tracking poles and all this stuff and and a lot of people just weren't willing to cross that threshold to go use the tool because it was like, I got to save my model. I got to go over there. I got to open it up. I got to set up the thing. I got to turn on these things in the right order. I got to do all this. Now you just put the headset on. So we're like halfway there, right? It's amazing. It's it's going really fast, actually. (laughs) It is. It is. And, and so, yeah, just, okay. So, so we covered that part. I think, I think everybody kind of maybe understands that, that the, the availability of, of headsets like, like the quest Two just, at your desk you just throw throw it on and you're in and then and that that was a huge thing to get through so now as we think about you know what it's actually like to be in the model why we would want to be in there like maybe start there and then we'll we'll bridge the gap to the people who are watching from the sidelines so uh, i think we we briefly covered it already like the like the spatial qualities of like a physical model and, and, and the the interaction you could have with that uh, we so did typic- I, i'm interested in you you guys do two things you have this yeah. kind of you know this god god skill that you look god down scale on the model and then re- one to one right you have this yeah. ability to zoom in and zoom out and i think that's a big deal because it does allow you to to have this kind of traditional architectural experience of building a model but also gives you the real world experience of what that space really feels like with basically you know it's all in the same place correct and the it's one of the 
things that we really thought about also when when we were making these modeling uh, tools, uh, like like making the functionality of of, of RQO. Uh, so we have like a tool palette that you can you can access on your wristband. It's basically like a like almost like a paint palette that allows you to select the various tools. And uh, tools can be done both with your hands. So if you work on a really big scale, you can just literally pick things up and glue things together and just stretch things by just reaching into the geometry. And by things, you mean, yeah, like geometric, like it could yeah, be, it could be assets and entourage, but it could, all, it's massing, it's walls, it's all kinds of Com- stuff. Yeah. So really like we also, we have like components, like like stair, window components, doors, like there's all sorts of uh, like smart stuff going on in, in under the hood. And it's maybe good to mention there that that we built our own modeling kernel to to allow these kind of operations on, uh, yeah. Because the the portable headsets like the Quest Two, they're basically a smartphone. They're not really powerful, so we really had to do uh, quite a bit of uh, optimizing like, it for that device. It's a lot of stuff yeah. happening under the hood, and it, it it works a bit, yeah. And and also uh, like the. The model itself, it's it's very, uh, say it's smart. Like it's, the geometry itself is responding on other geometry, and that allowed us to do all sorts of interesting things. Uh, now with some of the components that we have, like they are basically stretchable components, like like Revit families, uh, but it will also allow us to do a lot of interesting things when it comes to arrays and, and subarrays and, and making all sorts of uh, more organic shapes uh, down the road. Uh, but this, this is this, the starting point of what we're having is a solid modeling engine, and that also allowed us to to work uh, very seamlessly with Revit. So, like all of the Arcio geometry directly goes to Revit, uh, native Revit masses, and and people can just update everything in Revit again and bring it back to Arcio. So we have like bi-directional connections to to Revit, Rhino, and SketchUp now, and and. Due the fact that we have our own kernel, we can tap into each one of these tools and make the components, uh, families, or whatever that the software needs to make like something that user can directly start using or again with the other tool. And uh, talk, going back to the thing about working with different skills, so you can work either with your hands or you can work by laser, and that's an important kind of like a UX uh, UI design decision as well because in VR you see the spaces as they will be. You can really feel how high an auditorium is going to be, how high the balustrade, uh, how that will affect the, the presence of that balcony or the space. You, you don't want people to keep going back to the big scale and have to make the edit. We want people to, to work and edit that model from whatever scale they're at. So maybe they're at the 1 to 10 scale, maybe they're at the 1 to uh, 1 scale, uh, but they can either just touch uh, objects with their uh, hands to, to make it uh, or use a laser and move entire buildings from a distance, for example. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really feeling like uh, like superpowers, like having the ability that you're in inside of a city and you're basically moving all the buildings around you and you're just like a roof, like stretching a roof up and, and it really feels powerful as a, as a designer to, to fully manipulate the space that you're in at one-to-one skill. So let's talk about collaboration because uh, I think so far I, we we alluded to it earlier, but this idea of a person being in a model and and doing direct manipulation either at any scale is really interesting. How how important is collaboration at this stage, and and have you built that into Archeo? So the collaboration has been like one of the building blocks of of the app. 
And uh, like one thing that we we started with just a single user experience because like the first versions of Archeo they were, were single user, but uh, like like I think the version that we showed to you at AU and some maybe the versions there like the year before, they already had the the first versions of collaboration. And back then we still had to do a bit of like trickery to kind of lock the elements. Like you know at at works with Revit you have to. <laughs> Kind of like locks of the elements, and like it, it was not real time collaboration, but uh, like we really built our our kernel also to allow real time collaboration, and that that's that's a pretty essential spill in like making a, a kernel future proof, because uh, the other devices, for example, an iPad or a Windows or, or Mac PC, they could all join in the same session, and each uh, one of these devices can push pull the model, put new things on top of the model, and. Uh, the the other uh, users would directly see the the changes that are being happening, and the model would update parametrically, and also the new changes get directly synced and pushed on there. So there's no more sync button. Basically, everything is happening in real time, and you're working with a full like stretchable parametric model. Yeah, the the sync button is still asynchronous. The type of collaboration that you're talking about is full on real time synchronous collaboration, and Yes. And multi-device, multi-input type. So you don't have to be in VR with the handsets and the headset to manipulate geometry. You could be doing it from an iPad. You could be doing it from a computer. And all of these people can be joining, you know, device agnostically, right? And and if they're willing to participate, right, can just grab their mouse, can grab, you can touch the screen or can be in VR directly manipulating the geometry. I think what makes this so powerful, and this is one of the things where, I don't know that more traditional architects, I mean, you could even throw me into that, would at the, at, right in the very beginning see the uh, benefit to real-time collaboration in a model. I, I, there's a lot of architects who are total control freaks, right? And, and, and there's be, beyond that, it's like, this is my domain. Like, this is, this is where my value is. And I think when as the internet has gotten way more pervasive, ubiquitous, uh, popular, um, and the devices in which we access information in real time and have the kinds of communication that we have with other people, it's it's sort of just become this thing that happened, right? Which is, no, we all get to work on this. Google Docs did this, right? A long time ago, where we can all be editing the same document at the same time. Does that mean it always happens like that? No, it doesn't always happen like that. But if you can have a conversation and be showing the results of possibilities in a design space in real time with stakeholders and they can see it, talk about shortening the feedback loop, right? Like that to me is is where that value is. And, and I think a lot of people think it's either this or that. It's really black or white. And it's not. It's like you're going to do this when you need to do this. And then you're you're going to use you're going to be in there alone the other time you're going to be on the hollow deck by yourself doing your training session or you're going to be using another tool maybe right like it's like you said you can go out to revit you can do stuff there and then bring it back in so it's really flexible but i think one of the things that you're you're talking about as far as this real time synchronous communication ability is kind of a game changer it is, and it's uh, it's it's a new concept in in architecture. It's it's I think it will still be uh, like a bit of a persuasion that that needs to happen to make uh, architects um, want to collaborate also with other people. But it in 
in all the successful major architecture firms that have like transitioned to BIM, that have uh, like that that are very collaborative when they when it comes to their clients and and like working together, like they they have I think seen the power of collaboration already, and they have they are very open to this way of working. They're probably already using uh like like collaboration tools like Miro and and some some of the other tools out there yeah or the the markup tools in Zoom is a is kind of like the gateway drug which is right <laughs> we're going to draw in you know you get red you get blue you get yellow we're going to draw on this PDF together while one person shares their screen that that is a version of this but what you're talking about it goes way deeper and it's way more experiential than that so i think it actually kind of taps into people's emotional side in a much deeper way, which again, like gives them more ownership in the project by go, being included in the process. Yeah. And it's a bit like what we're, we, we were already doing with the physical models. Like you, you drag that physical model to that, uh, that client presentation and you actually put it on the table there and you were all standing around it and looking at it. Yeah. And they made like some some parts interactable, like maybe sectioned it, so it's like it all sorts of fancy stuff they did. It. And uh, like that that process can now be done on a conceptual level. So you could just do like like really do massing and like, like try out all sorts of things and, and explain the concepts live. Um, but you could also do like like a design charrette, like just have like several designers without the client uh, come together and and just do a quick session and work uh, through things. Could, yeah. That yeah. session could then be with uh, people on different devices from different skills. Like maybe someone is standing inside of the street looking up and the other person is making the blocks and everything around it. So the, the idea of collaboration, uh, I think what, what's kind of new in, in some ways here, like, uh, like if we try to always explain what, what the tool is, uh, we, we call it uh, uh, like spatial uh, collaboration. So you're basically, you're, you're working with 3D uh, spaces and collaborating on top of that, and uh, that that's an, something that's that's pretty new in architecture because we've been typically doing collaboration mostly on two D, like the two three D collaboration software that we have. It's it's often still focused on uh, showing the end result on a two D uh, screen. Okay. Yeah, let, let's talk about how you know, we we also alluded to this earlier, but there's there's kind of this feeling that people who watch somebody else working in VR get, which is motion sickness because it is bouncing around and and there's no like motion smoothing or anything to that. I, you guys have solved this in a really interesting way. Interesting is probably not the right word. Like I was I was like wow, it, it's it's very subtle, but it was this was a big deal, uh, and and I was experiencing this you know, this was three years ago and I thought you guys, it was, maybe it's even gotten better since then. I have no idea, but it was, it was a big deal because I'm sitting there with a, my visual effects friend who does rendering and, and VR and all kinds of things. And, and we were like looking at each other, like, how did, how did you solve that? Because every tool that we had used up until that point was like, yeah, we're going to have a big screen in the presentation so that everybody else can watch the person do the VR and hopefully like get them interested in doing it. But I think more times than not, that big screen turned people off to wanting to get into VR because it just made them sick. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable to watch someone doing a VR session. And that's something that we also had a bit of uh, like, like it's, it was also hard for us to like to, to present that uh, that way of working like that. 
So that was one of the key points that actually made us uh, make the camera smoothing that you're, you're talking about there. Uh, so, so basically, as a person, when you're doing VR, you don't really like you're not really thinking about it. You're just moving around really fast. Like that's how humans move their heads and their eyes. They don't really care about what other people are seeing. It's just how we work. And and so some smoothing need to happen there in order to make that more more comfortable, presentable to a third a third party. Right. That that's really and 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 you guys also do you just smooth that camera view or do you take a, a secondary camera view is it is it like detached from the actual point of view of the person who's doing the designing so it's uh it's like, like technically it's detached and it's just it's following smoothed out uh but what we have is the third uh third party camera and that that we find even more uh persuasive and, and more like working better because you you now have like uh, avatars, like you, I don't know if you've seen the, the new video, like we have like the meta avatar, so people can just make their own uh, digital copy, and you could you could see that avatar working, and that's even more comfortable to watch than seeing someone in a smoothed out way, because you you literally see what they're doing over the shoulder, you can you can look at what they're currently working on, and uh, like one of the fun things that we did with that is, is, is basically it's like a hybrid mode so the person that is on a pc with a wired vr headset attached they could be both working on the same model in vr and on the pc they can push pull at the same pc <laughs> kind of the, the, the model and they can, they can have a little fights about the, the sketch needs to be there and, the, nice. and uh, that that's kind of the local collaboration we call that but uh, like then the other devices can join in for the like the the uh, via internet collaboration let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors you've already heard a lot about avail as a longtime sponsor of the show but wait this is a new message for you distinguished listener of the troxel podcast we can't talk about avail's latest desktop release without talking dynamic paths you know what i'm talking about yeah of course you do Dynamic paths allow BIM managers to store data in BIM 360, OneDrive, or any other cloud solution. In the latest version of Avail, they expand on location agnostic, making content easier and faster to find for the user. Imagine not having to worry if the content is on a local network drive or in the gazillion cloud storage locations. How is this even possible? Pure magic. It's the stuff of unicorns and rainbows, my friends. Let's keep this just between you and me. Here's some of the details. Following on the promise of being content agnostic, Avail now makes location complexity a thing of the past. Content is more than Revit. It ranges from Rhino to AutoCAD to Office documents. Well, this is next level. We're talking network locations. Have you ever seen one location where all the project content lives? Snap out of it. Of course you haven't. Content can live anywhere from the local network to BIM 360 to OneDrive to any other cloud location. Why does this matter? Well, good thing there are no dumb questions, because the answer is that it frees up users to concentrate on design, which pays the bills, and getting content into a project, not managing technical issues around network drives and paths. Let's face it, they aren't that good at that anyway. Avail's mission is to make finding content simpler and easier. Like our favorite architect Louis Kahn once asked, Data, where do you want to live? I don't think he really asked that question, but Avail allows teams to, so let's just roll with it. And hold the phone. For those of you who know what this means, Avail also supports federated data requirements. 
Data can live where it needs and must live, allowing users secure and simple access to it. So what's the takeaway? What's the big picture here? Settle down. I have it right here. Avail is a platform that connects all types of data from all types of locations, hiding complexity. Try it today. Go to getavail.com to learn more. And now let's get back to our conversation. Can, can you talk about what some of the things that you, the feedback that you've gotten, the success stories, the case studies of users who have had kind of, I don't know, necessarily painted as profound experiences, but I'm sure it's different than what they were used to. So yeah. can you give us some examples of, of the kinds of things that you've heard? Yeah, so from from architecture studios, uh, we've been uh, like working with like big studios and, and smaller ones. Like one of my favorite stories is, is like a pretty small firm actually in in Ireland. Uh, I think it's I believe there are like fifteen people, and they have three Quest headsets, and and they are using Arcio regularly because they uh, like they worked heavily with with. Uh, like these foam models, like these these work like to, to conceptualize ideas, uh, they work with foam models. And during the, yeah, and and during COVID, of course, that became a bit difficult. And and they uh, they they were talking about how uh, Arcube basically allowed them to do that that uh, initial sketching uh, and and doing that also together. So it's like you said, it's not always you are in that model with three people at the same time like messing around. But when the moment comes there that you need to review it or when you want to quickly brainstorm on top of the, some of the ideas you prepared, then it actually becomes like very essential. Like You need to be able to jump into that same space and move that model around with and all three of us seeing that. So that's actually how they were using it. They are just um, like, like one of them is really like a VR uh, fanatic and he's, he's using it all the time. And and then the two partners that are not too much of a VR fanatics, but they, they believe in the technology and see the value. They just jump in sometimes and they work then together on, on messing out these concepts. And we've seen that in uh, larger studios as well, that they're doing like municipality uh, like work or like when, when there's like user engagements needed, like they, they, they kind of prepare models and then they make them interactive with doing these sessions. And uh, like the, the fact that things are editable is actually also something that uh, you can control as a, as a, as can your, your, the Archeo, uh, like license holder, you can control who has edit rights or who you can just view and temporarily sketch on things. A bit like a Zoom temporarily sketch or Slack temporarily sketch. And that that we've seen that people are preparing uh, presentation models like that. So they basically loaded their Revit models in sections and then they just took them apart. And as a, as a kit of, uh, this is how the design works. Uh, people massing out the designs. Uh, but uh, like I really enjoy also other fields and architecture using it, and we have a lot of architecture students using it, and I think it pretty makes a lot of sense to use it because it's often uh, like clients or like a group work. So it's like you, you work with several students together, you work with the teacher, you have to present it. Uh, so they make their full presentations in Arcure, they load all their little posters, and they make their designs, and they load various camera points, and they do that session. But we've seen also other spatial designers. We have theater designers, game designers, uh, even amusement park designers that that contacted us at some point. And yeah, it's really fascinating to see how how 
like how many fields actually are using spatial design other than architecture? Like it's, uh, it's also something new for me. Yeah, I mean, talking about experience design, right? It it kind of is merging the the two together, and and it's not that they were all separate, but it really kind of has again shortened that feedback loop of working on something and then presenting it, right? And so it does seem to make a lot of sense whenever you're dealing with space to kind of pull those two pieces into one place. That that's really really fascinating. You talked a little bit about how there was a VR fanatic at the firm, and then there was the partners who were not as fanatical. I, that's normal, right? But but is that is that required? Do you feel like still today that there needs to be kind of a VR fanatic in a firm to really make the most of this and show the value to the people because they have a relationship with them in a firm already? I believe that it does make it a lot more uh, like it's it's a lot easier to go via the VR route than go via the the traditional route because people that are are big VR fans they are willing to kind of work around some of the issues like you you mentioned like the hygienic like there's there's a couple of things that are still like bothering people and the VR fanatics, they often don't uh, like worry too much about those. They are already, they are pretty familiar with these devices. And um, like it, it also is for them a way because they probably, they already believe in this technology uh, to convince other, other clients and, and the stakeholders in the firm that this, this is uh, like a future uh, technology. This is going to be something that will be very normal. And uh, like Arcube gives them a way also to kind of do that sell. So I, I do believe it it helps because if you would go full on the just the spatial collaboration approach of Arcube, and you would think of it as a Mac and uh, like a PC and, a, and an iPad working together, it is such a new concept that a lot of people will like they they would need to think like okay how how am I going to use this? How uh, am I going to make this interactive? But when you make it do the physical building model that you just pick up and if you do it with the vr thing in mind then it gets a lot more understandable for people what you're actually doing in that space so so it sounds amazing right i think a lot of people are like wow this sounds sounds fantastic but what are the downsides to working in vr i mean as a as a big picture concept i'm sure that there are there are some speed bumps and hurdles to actually and i would love to talk to you actually specifically like we we can do an example of how you get your geometry into archeo but before we go there, what what are the what is the stuff that you're still interested in solving? I, I know you're constantly working on this, but is there any big stuff that is still holding people back from this future that you're talking about? I mean, I know, and and I don't want to paint that as like this doesn't exist today. This totally everything that you've talked about is here right now. So I don't want to say that, but there's also this future, like you say, like this is going to be normal, right? And that's what I'm referring to when I say that. Yes. So one of the the I think the issues that we have in in, in like the architecture industry, not only in architecture industry, but like the the models that we typically work on, they are they are really big and really heavy, and and our PCs are already melting from like the size of these things. Our Revit sessions take a half an hour to open up, and and these models, uh, users are expecting these models to end up in a mobile phone, <laughs> and that of course that that requires uh, some optimization, some time to to get that process done. Now there's a couple of good technologies out there, like like Enscape. Like there's a, a couple of like one button solutions that made it a lot more approachable for people to to walk around in their models. The easy button, yes. Yeah, the easy <laughs> button, and and that's also something that we are are aiming for to make that really the the one easy button. 
so currently it's possible to load your Revit model via plugin to Arcio, but it requires three steps. And that that's like you you want to bring those three steps down to one step, <laughs> then then people would uh, be much more willing to use that feedback loop all the time when bringing those models to Arcio. As far as that goes with working with clients, working with a team, are there any negatives that are still pervasive in VR besides just kind of like the stigma of putting a headset on possibly like what else is there? What is, what is holding people back? Why aren't they adopting VR as quickly as, as you would hope for? So I think one of the ways is uh, like these devices that people originally bought, they are, they, they, people are not aware that how uh, like how much better devices are out there right now for a lower price point. So they they, they invested in technology like the HTC Vive. They wanted it to last, <laughs> and and they they have their room set up, and and they basically right. the comp the company's uh, like investment is done. <laughs> it's not even a big investment, I think VR, but still like the investment is done, and and people are are like they they stuck with with that technology, and it's like you said, if you have that headset in some spaces you need to set up and you need to put power on all the sensors and start start all sorts of software it takes some extra steps and that would make people less willing to use it on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis can we solve that for them right now they, they need to donate that to a local high school or a community college yes. and, <laughs> and get a big smile out of that they would welcome that as a that that would just be amazing, right? They just gave us this complete VR setup, and then you can just go buy the 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 newer, much more capable and much cheaper headset. Yeah. There's a couple of uh, headsets coming to the market now that are uh, like like also very interesting to watch. They're like the I don't know if you heard about the, like the uh, Oculus or Cambria or at least the, it's now Meta called Meta. But it's like the new headsets that that will follow after the Quest Two. So this is like the the Quest Two headset that's uh, that will not uh, go anywhere. That will be like the consumer grade headset. But this is the headset they're going to be marketing on the professionals. It will be a bit more expensive, but it will have a lot smaller uh, face plate. It will not even touch your face. It's basically just floating in front of your face, and it will look a lot more stylish. So it's it's basically it almost becomes like an AR glasses already. And and that's the technology we're going to see in the next year. Like these headsets that we have now, the consumer headsets that basically are meant for, for gaming, they will still slowly start moving towards uh, pass-through devices, they call them. Like basically the camera in front of these devices will just pass through the image and put like a virtual uh, thing on top. And and the, the, the VR and AR uh, bar is going to blend a bit. And that, that's what we're going to see in the next, uh, next months. Those devices will come to market, and it will also offer a lot of interesting opportunities for for uh, doing something with mixing these realities. And that's something that we're also investigating. And I don't know if you've seen the video of of Archeo, like uh, where we do some of that pass through modeling, like you model on the on top of the real world, a new creation. Right, right, yeah, that's that's really great. I I think one of the things that holds people back is that maybe they work in a a low trust environment. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, someone sneaks up behind you when you've got these blinders on and then uh, or they're taking video of you while you're making a fool of yourself in VR. Right. <laughs> and you're not making a fool of yourself in VR. You're just having a great experience. I think those are the kinds of things that you're talking about, which are really going to reduce the or, or ex- make it more comfortable for people to get in there and feel like, oh, I can still see what's going on around me. Blending real with with virtual is going to be a, a benefit for a lot of people to get them into there. That's going to be a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of people are like 
like you said, they are a bit afraid of, of jumping into that space alone. And it is, it can be a pretty like, like uh, experience by yourself and, and just very simple stuff, like just making these headsets flatter and uh, not like blocking your peripheral view, not taking all your peripheral vision away. Yeah. That already helps a lot. I can tell you. And, and the fact that you can kind of blend the real world and the virtual world together and like literally put uh, models in AR everywhere and start interacting like that. That's like that stuff that we've been dreaming of as architects, I think like putting things on top of the reality. If, if you had multiple people in one place, this is always the, one of the problems with, with VR was that you really can't have multiple people with headsets in the same spot, which is like you're talking about, if you wanted to build something on top of a table that is already sitting in a room and you want a lot of people to see it and actually be there and be able to walk around the table independently and not run into each other, right? This is, this is the thing that we couldn't do previously, but now oh, there's kind it. of a... You can so so there's well yeah because there are cameras in in these right yeah. so 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 these uh, these new headsets like the Oculus Quest two or Meta Quest new they're called now they have black and white pass through so it's not it's not perfect it's like it's basically that your real world is black and white but it allows allows you to see that table it allows you to see the other people and you're actually you can put that model on the table in RQ already and everyone can stand in their position and model uh, on top of that uh, same model how does that work with with tracking so are is every headset doing independent tracking but there's something that's like unifying all that together so everybody is seeing the same thing in the same place yeah so the uh, different vendors or at least uh, like all, all headset manufacturers have their own uh, system of, of anchoring and shared anchoring and that's something that we we can then tap into to kind of align these sessions together and to make sure that the model is in the same position for for each one of these headsets now currently it's still a bit under development. So like HoloLens, they have like a, uh, Microsoft has a different system uh, than, for example, Magic Leap and Meta has a different system again. But the idea is that they probably will all unify that at some point. And it's up to the developers to just tap into these systems individually. You know? So the software could be on any device. Yeah, right. So that, that that's really interesting. Have you, tell me what's going on with like, and maybe this is just a non- issue with Arceo, but this idea that I became aware of, I think it was during an Apple keynote a while back, and it had to do with AR and games, and they were talking about persistent spaces. So if if you had an iPad or you had an iPhone and you were walking around a table and you're playing this Lego game, uh, the idea was like you could walk away from it, uh, you know, turn off your device, come back later, and it was still in the same state that it was. You didn't have to start over, right? So what what's that like? I, I kind of assume that that's really a non-issue in Archeo. Everything that you're doing is just automatically just that's the state it is, and it it always is there whenever you come back. So the currently uh, with the current version, in, it it would have like you have to manually align your space, like you have a little like a way to align it. Uh, but the next version uh, that we bring out will have this uh, like the, the shared anchoring system that Meta put in place. And that will take care of that issue. And like under loot, it's actually pretty funny how it works. It's like the device makes uh, like a picture and it uses uh, image uh, overlays to kind of find, okay, this this is place I already saved here. So that model should be placed over there. That anchor should be placed over there. And then we're just stepping into that system to to reposition the geometry according. It's a uh, pretty fun technology. One of the things that I would imagine is is a problem that has to be solved or maybe it's our, it sounds like it maybe has been, but it's like, if I play in VR in my living room and I place a model on my coffee table and I do it at night and then I come back during the day and I want to pick up from where I left off, 
like the lighting conditions have changed. Maybe a piece of furniture has moved. Like there's all kinds of things that could happen in that space that make it tricky to rematch the scene to the location where in the physical world where I was actually doing it. And those are the kinds of problems that you're talking about are being solved with this kind of shared anchoring system. Yes, th- those are being solved. And also they are a bit like a, like the holy grail for all these companies now, because whoever goes, is going to control that uh, ecosystem of anchoring is going to control the advertisement space and all uh, the dystopian. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I, I hope that the professional version of the headset it doesn't have that layer. I could totally see the consumer, you know, that that's how they're actually making their money back on those consumer devices that they're, they're all lost leaders, right, to get volume out there. So, so that's, it's, it's interesting to see, though, because like, there are several vendors out there and Apple, I think, is doing a very good job in like, some of their, their scene uh, understandings. And like, I don't know if you saw the little demo of like just scanning the room. It's, the it's room, really impressive. Well, yeah, room AR or something like that. Yeah, that looks really cool because they're classifying objects as it, as it kind of scans it and, and builds a model of it. That's really cool. What other things are you excited about in this space? I mean, it sounds like we're not just talking about VR. We're talking about, uh, you know, XR kind of extended reality things yes for for me definitely xr is where this is all heading uh, i think vr is just the technology as we have it now like the, the these headsets uh, they're currently able to do that uh, the first steps we're seeing now with these devices that are going to the market with uh, like color pass through and they will uh, like make this a lot more accessible than uh, currently you have like the hololens Two and the Magic Leap Two, they are like the only kind of AR device that you can get to to kind of experience AR applications, and they have a very limited field of view. I don't know if you ever tried uh, one of those. Like I'm a big believer of the pass through technology because it allows uh, full like switching between AR and VR, and uh, you can do a lot more blocking the, like some object and putting a shadow on it. That's pretty hard to do in a, in a in a glass lens where you you still see the object. It will always look a bit like a hologram. If you have a pass through, you as long as the resolution is near eye, you can do, make whatever you want there, and you make it virtual or real. And that that's also interesting for like uh, creative apps, of course, because you can color walls and you can move things around, and and you would still see the reality. And it's really blending those things together in a much more convincing way, right? And I think I think what's what's interesting to me about VR, at least as it as it has been, is we're we're willing to kind of give it a pass if it's not photorealistic, right? And the hardware is really hard pressed to be able to present it in in a photorealistic way, but but we're kind of okay with that because it's still convincing enough spatially uh, to kind of get us over that hurdle right to to want to be in there and see the the value and the benefits of it and and so as these things blend together and you can cast a shadow from a virtual object onto a physical object when you're look, i mean it's going to be incredible like that i one of the things i'm actually worried about is people aren't going to want to come out of this stuff right <laughs> and experience the real world because if you're seriously augmenting everything and it is better in so many different ways and the headsets are lighter and they give you the freedom that to move around and, and wear them a lot more for many more hours of the day, uh, that I, I get concerned about other things at that point. Yeah, I think we all have some of these concerns, like uh, me too. <laughs> I see like we've seen these uh, Black Mirror episodes also, like how, how bad everything can go, go uh, and, and something gets uh, like out of hand. 
but I think it's good that there's several vendors out there that are are trying to solve this problem. So there will not only be one uh, overlord controlling the whole ecosystem. There will always be several options that we can choose from, and then it's up to hopefully us and the the, the governments and the, the EU to <laughs> have all sorts of regulations and things. Yeah, right. Help help keep people uh, keep stay in check well i am i would love to maybe start wrapping up in in your time that the things you're sharing have been amazing and i think that one thing i would like to maybe go through is you mentioned being able to send models back and forth sketchup rhino and revit um just give us an example maybe let's use rhino i'm going to be selfish here and and because you you already kind of talked about how it works in revit but let's let's just talk about how you actually get a model back and forth into rko what what is actually involved for a user? What do they need to have um, to to kind of do this whole process? Okay, that's a good question. the The base, uh, like at least what they would need to get started, would be the uh, Archeo uh, for Windows version, and they can download that for free from our website. Uh, once they have Archeo for Windows, it also comes with the plugin for Rhino, Revit, or SketchUp. Also, by the way, I didn't mention Unity. We also have Unity and Windows sixty, but. Let's let's focus on Rhino. If you have Rhino, uh, the model that you have open, the 3D viewport that you are actively working on, uh, that can be exported to Archeo using our, our plugin. It's just a matter of clicking the export button. And then in the Windows uh, version of Archeo, the model can be selected and placed in, in on the table. So basically that, that puts your Rhino model on the table. We do a bit of things under the hood. So we, we reduce the model. We, we Basically, uh, we optimize the meshes. We make sure that the uh, geometry doesn't get too many polygons for for some of these very complex nerve surfaces. And like that, that model basically then gets placed in in Archeo. Once it's in Archeo, uh, you can start a meeting from the PC. You basically just give it a, a random name and a password, and you you pick your VR headset that has Archeo installed, and you go to the same meeting, and then everything gets synced up and shared. So that that that's basically the process right now. Okay, so a couple a couple of nuanced questions there. I want you to define the table, right? So people know what the table is. That that's that's something that I think would help. And then the second thing is, where do I get Archeo on my headset? So Archeo on the Quest can be downloaded for free. It's on the on the App Store, uh, iOS, Android, uh, also for free. If you have like a Steam headset, you can also get Archeo on Steam. Uh, we do recommend to get the PC version with the installer because you also get the plugins and, and like the things that you need to get models in and out of Revit and, and others. Uh, but like the the uh, headsets, standalone headsets, you just have an app store that you can download Archeo. And the uh, functionality we're talking about here with the Revit and Rhino, that is pro functionality. So it would require uh, either a trial or, or a subscription because like, that, that's part of our, uh, our model. and. Like when, once you have that subscription, you could just uh, like load as, as much models as you want to uh, the, the starting table, as we call it, uh, like the, the Archeo table. And everyone in the meeting will receive all of the objects placed on that uh, table and will see directly on that table what is moving around and what, what people are editing. But as long as you're in the same meeting. So you can see the, the model itself. So the table is is basically like a, a a block, a mass, right? And then your model gets placed on it as if it were a physical model at some small scale, and then you can see the other people kind of around this 
model in an avatar form so that there's come a spatial relationship between you and the other people in the yes, meeting. Yes, correct. And okay. uh, when you are having the uh, model on the table and you're having collaboration going, then like all of the operations you're doing will be shared. And the moment you're like you want to make design options, for example, you can make uh, like several saves or files that you can go between. But once you're done, you can just export that model. Uh, preferably, you do that on a PC because you, you have direct access to the file that got exported. Uh, but we're working on now is uh, like, like the the uploads from Revit, Rhino, SketchUp, but also from Arcio go to a cloud. So like, like our own cloud, we currently don't have kind of a direct cloud connection, but that's what we're working on now. So that then you can also do that from the quest. You just export the model and then you go to the Rhino plugin and you drop the model back into Rhino. That will convert all the Arcio geometry to, in, in the case of Rhino, to meshes and uh, components. So if something is like a tree, for example, it will be a component. So you can switch it out for, for some other uh, Rhino object. And in Revit, it will make uh, families for these objects. Nice. And when you're sending this information back, you said it turns it into a mesh. So if it what started out as a NURBS, it's going to come back as a mesh. And so what what would you recommend people are doing when they're seeing kind of their, you know, high fidelity geometry turn into a, a lower archaeo optimized piece of geometry? Do they then do they then have two pieces and they keep those two pieces, or do they they can they can they get rid of the optimized one and go back to their high fidelity one? Yeah, so all of the objects that uh, came from Rhino, they they will not get imported back into Rhino. So we basically we, we skip those uh, to to re-import all of the objects that got placed uh, on on top of that Rhino model. They get added, and if you are doing several round trips, so you go you, you add like you go with that model again to Archeo. Then you will end up with some some double geometry in in Archeo or in Rhino. So it's a matter of just making sure that you have the right uh, layer selected before you import, or the right uh, like uh, like model selected where you load it. Then it you can make sure that these things end up in the right spot. Uh, we see most of this this like bidirectional connection now happening as a kind of an overlay, like a reference, and uh, what we're uh, aiming for is to make that fully bidirectional updatable. So uh, currently, for example, if you have a Revit model, Rhino model, it comes into Archeo as a almost like a link. So you cannot edit the, the wall. <laughs> You're going to move the wall. It's just, a, it, it's just a reference. And what we have with Unity is a full bidirectional link. So when uh, like the Unity levels come in, all the game objects, they all like are little Archeo objects. You can just move the the walls and the pipes and things around, and you can export that back. And then in Unity, everything updates to the correct position. And that's what we are also aiming for with Revit and the other uh, software down the road. One of the things that when you're in VR is, you know, it's difficult to, to do things accurately, right? As far as like comparatively to a Rhino or a Revit a CAD tool, right? Where you have alignments, you have snaps, you've got, and obviously Archeo has a, this incredible system of snaps. And uh, can you just, what is it like? Like I, I think it makes sense. It's like this idea of reference objects, right? It's like it comes back in as this overlay that you could then make your very precise adjustments in the CAD tool to get things to because because what you do in Archeo, I think, is much more intent and what you do in CAD is much more like precise, right? Is that is that kind of the idea there? Exactly. Yeah. 
that that's exactly the idea. We also didn't want to mess with someone's Revit cell if they are like uh, legally bind to also stop moving around. And we have like we do have ideas to make that updatable though, because there are cases that maybe you are, for example, placing plants in Revit. I don't know if you ever placed plants or like like uh, organic things in Revit. It's, it's a horrible right. experience. Entourage. But yeah. if you right. if you could do that quick quickly with your hands, move, make things around, like like block out the environment, like all of that stuff could uh, just be updatable in Revit. And uh, if giving people the ability to choose either just have like a reference geometry or update the existing instances, that would... Uh, I think be interesting for a lot of yeah. workloads. So do you have your own library of assets for those kinds of things? Yes, correct. So we have like uh, some people, some trees, some uh, furniture objects and uh, smart components like stairs, windows, doors, all of the the props. They can also be imported by yourself. So if you have like your own trees or people, you can just bring them to Archeo from some of these apps and uh, they will be converted convert it to families or components in Rhino. I don't have any other questions for you. This has been a, a great conversation because I think it's kind of spanned from wh- why we do this to how we do this. And I, I'm just, is there anything else that we missed that you think we should cover? One, one of the things that we, we kind of mentioned, I, I want to make sure everybody knows is the things that you're talking about are available right now. Like this is not any kind of future yes. <laughs> state. Everything that you've mentioned, you can get today. You can download it right now, and it's it's available. And uh, like best of all, it's it's free to to just get it and try it. Uh, so the the app on Windows and on the on the stores on iOS, uh, the, the, if you have a Quest on the Quest Store, you can just get it for free. Just searching for Archeo, it often shows up already. And like once you you want to try some of these workflows with Rhino and Revit, we have a two week trial that you can start from in the app. And like once that's over you can start the trial on another device but uh, ideally you just go for a subscription and it's uh, it's like we try also to not make it unreachable so we have like a pretty like accessible pricing model where it's uh, 50 i have to say it correct 55 dollars a month for for a pro license and that would make it also a lot more accessible so it's, it's a floating license system so you can just buy like one Thank license you so and much. share it to several people <laughs> in the office <laughs> yeah we're still we're not going to that uh, road yet it's like we're <laughs> we see the, the benefit of this because the, we've seen uh like our, our tools like enscape they also get like they adopt really well and it works really well if you're still having to sell new technologies and since Archeo is such a new technology uh, we find that pricing model works better in uh Another argument for that, for this floating license, is that uh, architects' projects take a long time, and we don't do that early stage stuff all the time, right? I mean, there are some firms where there is a design team and they're doing it all the time, but I would say more often than not, in a in a larger, you know, that the profession is, you know, people are going through different phases, and they're only in one phase for a short amount of time, and then for the next two years, they're not doing it. And they're not going to continue to pay for a license that's locked to their identity when they're not going to use it, right? So it seems to make sense in a in a firm that to be able to kind of pass it around and, and share it. And then like if people are getting value out of it, they are going to buy more licenses so that they can all be in there at the same time and, and doing the things we're talking about. And that's uh, something that we're also envisioning. Like this, uh, this will add value to the uh, like the, the architectural process. Like this could save. Like, uh, like, like if you do, if you use this for where it's intended for, it could save you working on like three options for like 
I don't know, like a month or two months. And you could basically do that, like decision-making with the client in maybe in one day or less instead of the month. Like if you really use this technology to like to, to the capabilities where it's, it's, uh, it can be used for. Uh, but like having a couple of those success cases would of course mean more people like, oh, let's also start using it. And then you will have more uh, like people taking the, uh, adding licenses to the pool. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I was thinking when you said you have a 14 day that a lot of people in this profession, you know, like that's nothing that goes by in the blink of an eye because our projects do take time. But by making a piece of software that has that, as we started off talking about, you already know how to use it. That really lowers that barrier to entry because I think a lot of people are turned off to software because of how long it takes to learn or just to become proficient at. And this is not like that. I won't, and I would stress that as well. It's, it's very fun. It's very playful, but it's also very professional and the presentation is beautiful. And all of those things add value uh, on top of you already knowing how to use it because you've played with building blocks before, right? So if you can channel your inner child and, and come back to that state and and make architecture fun again, I, I think all of these things are pointing to a, a a fantastic scenario for people to explore. Definitely, it's uh, it's very exciting to to see this technology also being used for uh, like like making that process that we kind of made a bit like a drag like i have to say it like because i, I feel like that sometimes when i'm, I'm using cat software it's, it's i i remember in the early days i had a bit more fun with it and then now because it got like so complex there's so much stuff there's so much things you need to know about it but just making that uh a bit more like the old days it would hopefully get uh also a lot more uh people from various generations uh, excited about using right. digital tools that's a big deal like, right there uh, yeah well Johan, this has been amazing. I, I really appreciate the conversation and the insight. And I know you do this all the all day, every day. And uh, so you're a, you're a VR veteran. And it's amazing to me how many people out there have kind of judged it from afar and not tried it themselves. And I would just encourage people to actually give it a try yourself. And that usually is enough to change your mind about this tech. And I've seen it happen firsthand. I mean, this is, this is, I've brought it up on the show before uh, with the episode with Andrea Kajokaru and we talked about just kind of the transformation that I saw in a, in a colleague that I was working with who was, you know, writing this off, writing it off, writing it off. And then they tried it. Right. And surprise, surprise. It was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is pretty incredible. And they were, you know, a capital A architect, capital D designer. Right. And they had, been around for a while and and it was just like a game changer for them it kind of blew their mind and and to me that was kind of fascinating to watch right i mean when when people's eyes are opened to new ways of working and start to see the value in this kind of real-time collaboration possibility it, it it's really interesting to watch people go through that transformation and a lot of people don't think it's for them until they try it and then it's like and it isn't for everybody. It's not to say it's for everybody, but you don't know until you've tried it. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a good advice. Like these devices are out there. They're not expensive and uh, like they will only get better. So uh, like it, it is something that, that will, like if it's not right for you now, it will probably be right for you in a year from now or like because it's moving really, really fast. And I can definitely recommend people to, if they have still an older headset laying around to, to try some of these new t- tools. 
Johan, thank you so much. I'll put links to all of your places where people can find out more about Archeo in the show notes. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.